Welcome to Style Section, the Wise Guy Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Sheila. We start off uh, with another meeting at the DC headquarters of the OCP, which is very interesting uh, because, you know, you again get the resistance from Daryl to actually working on the case. Yeah. He really does not want to be involved in this way. Like, he just doesn't care because he doesn't think it's high profile enough. Like, he, he's he got all these, it's, oh, great, I'm going to put a bunch of rednecks in jail. jail. Who cares? Yeah. There's no promotion in that. There's no good press in that. It's just a bunch of rednecks who maybe killed a priest. Boo-hoo. You know? Mm. I know, he's terrible. But Mark is, we learn that Mark has been pushing through to get every possible avenue looked in on his brother's injuries and death and we find out and this is like ugh, uh thinking about this they were able to get impressions from the dirt that rubbed off on pete's clothes when the car hit him and they've got a partial license plate they know that the license plate probably had an e and a g in it next to each other and it almost definitely had some kind of a bug screen in front of the radio. And so that's the and information. And it was green. Have. Well, yeah, they also have the flex green paint. And so yeah. Mark is going out of his way to search every possible truck. They know it was a truck because of where Pete was hit uh, and how he was thrown down under the tires instead of up over the car, as happens when you hit something that's lower. Uh, you were hit by something that's lower. All right. So it's like they've actually put in a lot, like Mark has put in, a lot of work into this case, even while Daryl fundamentally would rather they be working on something else. So again, Mark, a much more sympathetic figure than Daryl, by far. <laughs> by far. And will continue to be so. Oh, absolutely. Mark's, it's always great when Mark's there in the background. All right. Uh, but Vinny goes back home and we see him in his uh, relaxing at home clothes, which are, surprise, surprise, a uh, Canadian tuxedo. <laughs> Jeans, jean jacket, and a t-shirt. The Canadian tuxedo. <laughs> uh, uh, God, like, see, she's laughing the laugh of someone who was alive in the 70s when everyone dressed like this and it became notoriously Canadian. I'm sure I had a jean jacket. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know I did. Yeah, jean jacket and blue jeans. There you go. Uh, and they should match, or else it's not a good tuxedo. Uh, and while they're there, uh, while they're there making, uh, you know, making some breakfast, the door gets kicked in, and the cops come to arrest Vinny. Because it turns out uh, somebody managed to get the license plate of the car fleeing the armored car heist, and it was Vinny's car. So they assume. And Vinny's in the mob. And Vinny's a famous mobbed up guy, so. They go, and they grab him, and they drag him down to jail, and in a key moment, as he's being dragged out the door, uh, he yells to Angela, call my Uncle Mike, tell him I'm going to be late for dinner, which is uh, code for oh. have the FBI come in and pull me out. Like, yeah. pull me out, whatever I'm doing, have them come in and arrest me and pull me out. And But of course, Angela is in the family, and she's like, <laughs> who the hell is Mike Terranova? Just do it! <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> No, Mike Terranova, what? Uh, but anyway, so uh, she does call him and give the heads up. And on the way in, uh, Vinny gets, you know, roughed up on the way to the car. They do the thing where they smash his head into the car when they're taking him to the car because 
these are cops and cops are casually violent and how shall i put this they keep telling us over and over again the show this is what men do when they get angry about something they go out and they look for someone to hurt this has been a through line through every storyline so far in the show and every character does this it's fascinating how other than you know probably Vinny, like so many of our characters when they're pissed about something they will go and they will hurt someone you know sunny even encouraged him to do it yeah so we don't know if he did it or not we don't know well no i mean i don't think i, I think based <laughs> on that episode Vinny didn't find some random guy and beat him up but it's like this is a solution that all men in this show, you know, subscribe to. It's like using well, yes. violence, you know, to deal with your emotions. And it just kept, and because there was never a, um, a, um, a rain put yeah. on it. Of course. It just continued to get worse. Yeah. And cops just got away with it. Why people are shocked. I think people sometimes seem to think that this should have changed and it didn't or it did change right and it didn't matter that if you got more hispanics and if you got more Black african in americans yeah. in the police force no nah, they just became cops yeah they just became cops like fundamentally at because their core, it's the rot is in the institution not in well the people it's 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 a patriarchal way of handling well male not only, anger not only is it patriarchal uh way of handling male anger which you're right about and is completely accurate it's also the consequence of being told from the minute you become a cop that you are exempt from laws like that there will be no consequences for whatever you do is the lesson you get when you become a cop and that goes to your head being above the law goes to your head really quickly right when every other cop will if you do something illegal lie for you and protect you like yeah, that goes to your head right away. And you can say, well, what if they go out and actually murder people and commit crimes and steal drugs? Cops do that, too. And they mostly get away with it. Like, that's just that's just how policing is in America. Uh, yeah, it's a criminal he, organization. Well, I, anyway, I don't want to go down this road. We've been doing this. Oh, no, no, we've been doing okay, this for two let, years. Let's get back August. to the episode. Well, no, but it's very relevant to this episode, and I'll well, say why. Uh, yeah. no, and I'll say, like, it's very relevant to this episode, because when Vinny gets oh, yes. down to the... Uh, when Vinny gets down, right, he gets brought in, and then we cut to Frank, who's trying to find him, because he got the call out from, uh, he got the call about the pullout from, uh, Lifeguard, and then, boom, they can't get any cops on the phone, they can't even find where Vinny's being held, because they don't know this is about the robbery, they don't know how serious it is, they don't know about the dead police officer, and so while they're looking for him, uh, we get to Vinny, getting brutalized by the cops trying to beat a confession out of him. Yep. And he's Ooh. just hanging in there until his... Yeah, he knows he's he knows they're on the way, he knows they're going to pull him out, but it's a scary thing a... he goes through. He's got to yeah. live through the, ang the vengeance of angry cops who know that if they kill him, there will be no consequences. Right. And that's pretty that's a pretty scary situation, I would have to imagine. And then we get a bunch of great scenes with Frank and Daryl trying yeah. to, uh, they go to the police station, they demand to see Vinny, and the cops are like, uh, we don't know if he's here. We can, you know, we arrest hundreds of people a day. Who can say which one it is? If you come back with a warrant, maybe we can do something. And then we get a great shot of uh, them 
doing this so quickly that they don't even go to the attorney general into the attorney general's office. Like they literally slow the car to a stop. A man runs out and hands them the warrant and then they speed off. Because implicit in this is they like they know the language of police officers. If police officers are hiding an arrestee, it's because they want to do illegal stuff to him. Mm -hmm. And it's like, the fact that it doesn't give them pause at all. That, like, these are the people who are theoretically on their side, and they are casually losing people in the system so that they can brutalize them. And they don't see that this might be a systemic issue. They're just like, well, no, it's just our guy who's in jail, and once we get our guy out, we can just let the cops go back to being cops. It doesn't work like that. I mean, this is the brutality of L.A. Confidential. Yeah, it's the exact same thing. And yeah, and it's like you would imagine, oh, well, at some point that police culture uh, culture changed, right? Uh, I can direct you to a series of news stories about, and this is not a lie, the 15 different white supremacist murderous gangs currently working as an integral part of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. So no, this never changed. It's still bad. It's still this bad everywhere there are police. Uh in America, obviously I'm not I'm not insulting every police officer worldwide. Don't don't try and tar me with that brush. Uh, but anyway, it's it's worth pointing out. So finally, they get the they get the warrant, they get in there, they use the they use the computer to find out who Vinny is. They've just like where they, Vinny is. Yeah, yeah, where Vinny is. Yeah, sorry. Where Vinny is. And they're like, okay, well, we've just got to arrest him on this unlawful assembly charge. <laughs> Which is the fact, like, because they need a charge that could explain why they arrest him and they grab him, but then they let him go immediately. So what they go with is unlawful assembly. And so finally, the lieutenant in charge of the precinct is like, oh, no, it turns out that he's arrested here for murdering a cop. So we're not going to be giving him to you. Daryl says, yeah, we're the FBI. You are. And we get maybe the, the single nicest or funnest moment in the episode. You're going to have to, you know, it's like, I'm not letting him go unless I hear from uh, from the governor uh, that I have to listen to you. And they're like, well, let's call him. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and in the next shot, he is being uh, Vinny, horribly beaten, is being left le- let out of the... Uh, the station so it did work he does get sprung but he's been brutally beaten by the cops and uh frank wants him to keep his head down right frank wants him to keep his head down frank wants this to be over right and maybe like this is a good reason to pull out of this thing and he's like no we're getting the guys who actually did this both because probably their connection to my brother pete's death because they're murderers and criminals and because that will clear my name the right way like Vinny's looking at this the right way and I really, again, I love that about this scene. So he goes up, he, and then we get more with uh, Knox and Richie, and of course, Calvin Hollis. <sighs> oh my god. Uh, we forgot to talk last week, and I'm really sorry that I glossed over this, about the scene where Calvin tries to show his appreciation to Knox by giving him a first edition of Mein Kampf. Signed by the Fuhrer. Signed by the Fuhrer. And it's like, damn. And that, like, you want to talk about an acting performance. The way Fred Dalton Thompson plays, his obvious disgust and discomfort with Calvin, while 
Cal, like, while you know, saying the right thing, keeping him at the right level of distance and making it seem like this is important to him. And Calvin being so desperate for approval, he can't see what's happening. And it's like, he's, oh God, Calvin is such a fascinating character. Literally, I watched CSI for years before realizing it was the same actor. You know? <laughs> no, I, I, and I, once you mentioned it, right? And then yeah. I keep going and I keep going. I think once in the entire four episode arc, did I go, oh yeah, I can yeah. see Paul Guilford. I can see Paul. No, but it's like, he is so transformed. And yeah. we're going to talk later in this episode about what an incredible job he does in Calvin's probably second most important scene in the entire series. Uh, but yeah, like he's, he's incredible, right? So Knox, uh, but they have the meeting, you know, Knox leaves and Vinny comes in and he puts a gun to Calvin's throat. Yep. And he says, what the hell are you doing using my car in a robbery where you're killing people? And of course, Calvin says, I had no idea about it. It was your car and it was just the whatever car, uh, you know, that he pulled up in. Right. Uh, and so it's like, obviously, this is not a. This is not a situation where we plan to do this to you at all. And Vinny's like, yeah, I don't have time for you people. Obviously, I'm not getting you guns. And he, I might kill you. And and Calvin says, you'll see how serious we are. Come out to the meeting and we'll talk about a real gun deal. Like thousands of guns, which would, of course, would be more enough to take down the entire organization. And so Vinny's like, OK, we'll go to this. Uh, we'll go to this meeting. I'll see you at this rally and we'll see what happens. But before then is... A line of dialogue that I just want to take a brief moment on because it is how seeing this as a young person kind of changed my life. So we've talked a lot about how it was different growing up in Canada in the 80s than American in the 80s, um, specifically Ottawa. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to not really have a lot of examples of prejudice and bigotry encounter in my life outside of fiction. So I didn't really get a lot of, you know, the experience and how traumatic it was. And I'm not saying Canadians aren't racist. Far from it. Uh, I'm saying that the community I grew up in had almost no black people in it. And so I was not in a position to witness the kind of discrimination that is so rampant throughout American society. And indeed, in much of Canadian society, this kind of racism against uh, black people does exist. Uh, fun fact, I have been the victim of anti-Semitic uh, prejudice in my life, despite not being Jewish. Uh, I have the kind of last name that makes people think I'm Jewish. And so while growing up, I got a surprising amount of anti-Semitic slurs hurled at me. And they didn't affect me as negatively as you'd think, because like I knew the people were absolute morons because they didn't even care to find out whether I was Jewish or not before <laughs> before insulting me. So I knew they were people I didn't have to take seriously, and I never experienced any institutional prejudice because of it. So anyway, the long uh, and the short of it is, I never learned much about white supremacy until this series of episodes. And this, and so the the stuff I learned in this episode's massively stuck with me, which led to something funny happening uh, quite a few years later. So in the late 90s, early 2000s, the Harry Potter books came out. And I never read any of the Harry Potter books. I've seen some of the movies, not even all of them. 
could not get into it. Plenty of friends who read them and loved them. Everyone younger than me, they were definitional to their childhoods. Uh, I was slightly out of that age window, but, you know, that I never read them. And I'll tell you why. I started reading one of them, and then I got into something. And you find out a bit of the way into the book that they call people who are not pure-blood magicians, so 100% magicians, are called uh, mudblood in the books. And I'm like, the only thing I could think of when I heard that term was the talking and talking and talking about the mud people that was so prevalent in this episode and, in fact, in the Turner Diaries and that kind of thing. And my entire life, between that and Harry Potter, I had never heard the term uh, mud as representing inferior genetics. And I'm like, yeah. this is an incredibly obscure term, using mud to represent inferior genetics. And I'm like, I'd never heard it. I'd outside never of Wise heard Guy, it. Right? Yeah. Until Wise Guy. I, in yeah, fact, I can. Yeah. It's, it's an incredibly obscure term, but it's very common in white supremacy circles, which I guess that wasn't what I was running in. Uh, but in white supremacy circles, it's a very common term, and it's extensively used in their Bible, the Turner Diaries, uh, as, as I understand. I've never sat down and read all of the <laughs> Turner Diaries for obvious reasons. I mean... Uh, why would you want to punish yourself? I know. I've skimmed the important parts that inspired, um, uh, that inspired the Oklahoma City bombing, but I've never sat down and read it to, from beginning to end, because I don't want that stuff in my head. Oh well, I I watched a documentary. Oh, I know. I I have too. I've read analyses of it. I know what's in the book. I just haven't actually punished myself by reading. No, it's hard enough to get through Mein Kampf. Oh God, I know. Anyway, I've had to do. I have had to go through that one. I did too. And yeah, that's that's a rough read. Um, well, well, it's just how people can. I yeah. just. If I was to say anything, I still, this is not the historical me talking. This is the <laughs> gut level emotional me talking going, yeah. how can people be so stupid? Sorry. That's a really good question. But anyway, so the point is, the moment I, I read that in a Harry Potter book, I'm like, why is this woman writing about fantasy wizards using a term exclusively associated with far-right white supremacist Christianity. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so I immediately, I'm like, I think J.K. Rowling might be a terrible person. And it soured me on the whole idea of ever reading any of the books or giving her any money. And then, so I gotta say, so I spent like 15 years with everybody loving the Harry Potter books and me being like, I don't trust that lady. She seems like a bad person to me, <laughs> entirely based on a word choice in the book. But on the upside, I was 15 years ahead of everybody else turning from J.K. Rowling. <laughs> yeah, because, she made all yeah. her money already. <laughs> oh, I know. And I couldn't stop her from making any money. But 15 years after I, I had that experience, everybody was like, oh, she is a terrible person. Okay, good to and know. Yes, and it wasn't even over that issue. No, it wasn't. It had nothing to do with it, but it had nothing to do ultimately with the Perry Hot Harry Potter books either. Yeah. But I, I just want to point something out, uh, and this is something that not a lot of people have stopped to think about. So in the whole series, uh, everybody knows about Voldemort, 
Now, Voldemort was a disciple of a guy named Grindelwald, who was the ultimate bad wizard before Voldemort was the ultimate bad wizard. And he's the guy who's played by Johnny Depp in the Fantastic Beasts movies. Okay? And these, by the way, she wrote these. Like, these are her original work. They're not spin-offs that some dude wrote. And I would like to tell you now, before we move on, what Voldemort, what um, Grindelwald's evil plan was and why he did it. His evil plan was to, because you remember, in Harry Potter, riz- wizards rule the world and they do it secretly. Like, they run the whole world, but they pretend they don't and they let humans think they're running things in the world of Harry Potter. It's our world, but secretly wizards are running everything. Okay? That's what you have to understand. So Grindelwald's plan was conquer the earth, stop pretending we don't run things, do away with all the stupid nations who think they have power. You know, he's not going to kill all the humans, but he's going to let the humans know he's in charge. Okay? So that's his plan, and that's what they're trying to stop. They want to preserve their secrecy. Do you know why he did wanted to do that? Go on. Because he has a magician who saw the future and found out World War II was going to happen. And he thinks that humans can't be trusted with running things if they would cause a World War II to happen. As a consequence, and I know this is going to sound like hyperbole, but it is literally the case, the heroes of the Fantastic Beasts film franchise are fighting to ensure that the Holocaust happens. The villain is trying to stop Hitler. And the heroes are trying to ensure that Hitler happens. And you tell me whether or not she's an epically shitty person. (laughs) The villains are trying, the villains are trying to stop Thanos, you know, to put it in modern terms. And the heroes are like, no, let let Thanos do what he's going to do. I'm sure they'll figure it. I'm sure the humans will figure it out for themselves later. Yeah. So that's just, that's just the kind of thing. I'm just saying, all this stuff isn't harmless. <laughs> you know, it echoes well, out. it's the problem. I never liked Harry Potter because, oh God, I, to me, it was just a rehash. Yeah. A, a rehash of the... Uh, Going over yeah. so many of the Chosen One narratives, like, uh, for example, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and all of those. Well, which I didn't like either. Which time. I yeah. Actually, I haven't even read the lion the witch and the wardrobe i don't like the narnius books i don't want any of that i'm just going so you know why are you this you're trying you're saying that this is a myth because of course it all goes back to the jesus myth right it does and and that's you know so we're going to make sort of a new jesus myth well well that's what aslan is he's literally the jesus of that world and, you know, it, it is just, um, and it's supposed to be, and, and people will not, they all think C.S. Lewis is this, you know, Marvel. And I just go, There's no, you wonder why they, in there. you don't, you know why they, well, particularly since my whole thing is going, no, suffering is not good. Yep. No, this, this whole, oh, never mind. Now that gets us into another tangent. And I know. Just so like, instead, what we're going to do is we'll move back to the episode. But I just wanted to point out that it's like. Let's go back to the like, episode. Um, this, I'm just saying, this episode. like Taught so you something. Effect, no, it's so affected my worldview that for the rest of my life, I have gone out of my way 
to have the most powerful radar I could possibly have about white supremacy and the Any dangers of blind thing. prejudice. Anything that even pointed in that direction, I'm like, I'm very mm. suspicious now. So I'm not going to talk about close family members who later surprised me with white Crap. supremacist thinking. Uh, I'm not going to get into that now. This is a public venue, probably not for the best. But I'm just saying, if I hadn't had the education and the window into this world that these episodes provided me, who knows how I might have ended up? Like, who knows the assumptions I might have brought to things? Yeah, well, that never mind. The family member, it still is a, a complete mystery to me. Yeah, other yeah. Yeah, other no. than, other than, no, other than the other half of the family. Well, long story sh short, I had a grandfather who's in the Vermont, so that's going <laughs> to factor. Like, I think it's not too much of a surprise where this stuff is coming from. Yeah. Uh, we weren't close, luckily. Anyway, uh, so Vinny yeah, says, all right. Uh, no, I, well, yes, he and I. That's the we and he and I. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but anyway. Let's uh, go. That's, uh, but anyway, as I was saying. Uh, so Vinny is like, okay, I'll go to your, here. I'll, I'll go and watch you give your speech. And there's an interesting moment before the speech where Knox says to, uh, uh, where Knox says to Calvin, uh, I got, I got to do a thing in Boston right now. I got to do a thing at Boston at 8 PM. So I'm not going to be able to stay for the speech. So instead of me giving a speech to the pilgrims of promise, I'm going to introduce you and you're going to give the speech. And Calvin, of course, is an incredibly nervous person, right? And an yes. unbelievably nervous person. He stammers. He stutters. He's has no confidence of any kind, right? Even even when you put a gun in his hand, he doesn't get the confidence most people do. He's he's a mess, and he's always been a mess. Uh, and he's like, but Knox tells him to do it, so of course he's going to do it. Like he is completely beholden to Knox because, as we learned, his entire life has been spent moving from one abuser to another. Yeah, like he has been molested mo like for his entire childhood by a series of abusers, and so now he is stuck in this pattern where he is looking for an older man to tell him what to do. It's horrifying. And the thing about the thing about Pooley is yeah. Pooley is not interested in abusing him sexually. No, no. So that makes Pooley this even more icon yeah. in his life exactly because it's like this man who'll tell him what to do without obviously wanting something from him in return mm -hmm. so yeah that that it makes him the perfect you know the perfect person to look up to and obey which is all he wants he wants someone to obey because that's what he's been taught he's for it's disgusting and it's tragic and he's such a fascinating character and it's so like what blows me away is the research that must have gone into this character because yep. of how accurate it is to the, like, the the psychology of the abused child who becomes an extremist. Yeah. Like, it's everything about Calvin's performance is so true from all of the reading I've done and all of the research I've done. It's, it's incredible the amount of work that must have gone into creating this character. For both, well, they had like, a the summer. Actor, yeah, they had a whole summer, you're right. But it's like, for the writers and for the performer. It's right down to his body language. Everything about what Guilfoyle does. He can't meet people's gazes. He's always like, he goes from puffing up his chest to like slinking down and deferring the minute he gets any pushback. Like the minute someone with authority speaks to him. It's it's fascinating. What a yeah, good job no, he does. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, 
it it yeah and again i will go back to and you wonder why we're complaining about criminal minds i know right oh my god so anyway uh they all go Vinny has to get a ride with the nazis out to the uh uh with uh the nazis out to the uh what do you call the the rally Uh, yes so he leaves his limo behind and he tells the limo that he's going to be back to you know He's going to be back to get driven home. And he goes off and we see the speech finally. So Knox flees immediately before the Nazi stuff starts, because, again, he's about it's clear to all of us, but it's not clear to Calvin and Richie. He just cares about making money. Yeah, that's that's why he's here. (laughs) And he doesn't want to be associated with the cross burning. Well, yeah. And I mean, you got that line earlier where he's talking about how Terranova can get to talk to Knox about how you know, Terranova can get us guns. And he's like, you only need guns to rob people. And these people are just handing us their money. Yes. Why bother? Yeah. Why bother? And it's like, and it is, that is quite obviously a reference to uh, the famous line by LBJ, which is that if you tell, you know, the, if you tell the least accomplished white man that he's better than the most accomplished black man, he's not going to notice that you're picking his pocket. Yeah. And then he expanded to say, and this is the key part, that if you give uh, if you give that same white man, like that same mediocre white man, someone to look down on, you won't have to pick his pocket. He'll empty them for you. Yeah, I know. LG Bay with, LBJ LBJ, was an yeah. amazing and, and, and very interesting person. He's such a fascinating figure. Yeah. Like the most left-wing southerner who ever lived. He hated racists so much. Yeah. He hated those people so That he much. spent all his capital. All of his political capital getting uh, civil rights passed. He's from Texas. He's a southern governor. And it's like, but he hated those racists. Fascinating figure. But anyway, so they go and Calvin gives the speech and it is a truly pathetic scene. And the way it is shot, I think, is kind of brilliant because it is like the visual narrative of it is like almost trying to get you on Calvin's side because fundamentally he's such a monster, but he's also at his core just a needy child who desperately needs this approval. And everything he's saying is awful and evil, but you pity him as much as you have contempt for him in that scene. Well, I think the whole scene like from the beginning where he can't really talk, but they're going to listen to him rapidly yeah. because Pooley has said Told that to, yeah. too, and they're listening to him. And of course he can't even bring the microphone down himself. I know, right. As someone else bring the microphone. Wow. Down, right. And then, and, but he gets going, he gets in and the he keep, and he starts to get this approval from the audience and as as the audience cheers he gets better and better and better and then you see that scene of him standing in front of the burning cross but what's notable is and this is again the research paul guilfoyle did for the role right is as he gets better in the speech he starts using hitler's mannerisms he starts doing the hitler arm motions and the hitler mannerisms and that's key because he's watched so much footage of Adolf Hitler, right? Yep. He's watched so much footage of Adolf Hitler that it's like it's now a part of him. He didn't have to rehearse this. When he gets the roar of the crowd, 
when he finds himself talking about the conspiracies of Jews, and I'm not going to say all the words he says to describe everybody you don't, else. No, you don't. I'm even. sure as hell not going to say them, but they were on television to make sure we're disgusted. And he starts making the hand motions, and he starts getting animated, and you're like, oh my god, he, like, this stuff is so powerful, and this is the key part. And this is what Knox will say soon, is that it's like, you just have to give these people what they want to hear. And they will give you the approval you need, and they will give you anything else. And, like, that's that's what Knox found out, right, when he met Calvin Hollis. That this was the easiest group of people to sell to in the world. Because <laughs> you just have to tell them they're right about all this stupid stuff. And it's, it is what Calvin learns in this scene. In this scene, he becomes a salesman, and the only difference is he actually believes Believes it. what he's selling. Yeah, he believes what he's selling, and Knox doesn't. God, it's such a good scene. Anyway, Vinny goes out to take down all the license plates, just in case there's some chance that one of these guys, A, maybe one of these guys will be involved in Pete, and B, because they want to be able to track everybody. The FBI, <laughs> quite understandably, wants a list of everyone who is at this Nazi rally. Yeah, it was, it was a, he, he, but that's a that's a junk job. <laughs> I know. You know, that's what, Char that's, what my that's what my driver's for. Why do I have Charlie? And they're like, yeah, but what if Ch Charlie's not allowed to come? And Charlie isn't allowed to come. So, boom, Vinny's got to do it. Yeah. And surprise, surprise, he founds the EG, finds the EG license plate, finds that it's on a green truck with a mosquito guard. And what's that caught in the grill? <sighs> it's Father Pete's St. Christopher medal. Oh, St. Christopher Metal. St. Christopher right. Metal that Vinny got him and had engraved as such for when he became a priest and took the orders, or however they say it. Uh, and just we, we find out, oh, it's Corker. Remember, Corker, the guy who murdered P, uh, the security guard? Yeah, turns out that's his truck. Who else would it be? <laughs> who else would it have been? And... So then we get a great scene. Vinny goes back to see Calvin and says, when are we going to talk about these guns? And he's like, uh, we're in the middle of something and the important people aren't here today. We'll talk about the guns soon. Vinny's pissed off and Corker's like, ride home with me. And Vinny's like, oh, good. This is my chance to murder the guy who murdered Pete, which he is 100% ready to do because like the guy catches him with his truck. That's why he wants to take him home. Uh, and then he wanders off and Vinny is completely put on tilt by the realization that this has killed his brother. He folds over, he vomits, he can't focus, like, and he just tells himself to keep it together and remember he's a professional and do the job. And so he takes the ride, and he takes the ride fully planning to kill Corker on the way, and he's going to get away with it too, because he knows Corker has a gun, and he knows Corker's the guy who killed that cop. You know? <laughs> so. Yeah. He knows that these are, or if you didn't, he would, he didn't, if he didn't pull the trigger, he knows that he's one of the closest guys and must be in on it. So Vinny, 100% is going to have no trouble getting away with this. And, uh, then he looks at the medal. And he looks at the medal and he remembers his brother and he's remember what his brother said about doing things the right way. And he's like, no, I'm going to do this for Pete. I'm going to take this guy in the way I'm supposed to. So he puts his gun away, he turns on the radio, and he lets the guy drive him back to the gas station where his limo is waiting. And then we get just a tour de force from him at Pete's grave. Yes. Oh, it's such a fantastic performance. 
my it God. hits all the marks like that I, it you know you say it again and again and again right like all yeah. of these but all of these yeah. these speeches they hit the mark mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what they are this is what's so amazing about wise guy outside yeah. of you know changing quote television as we know it um yeah. as we knew it at that point yeah. um it just hits the marks it's no wonder that the powers that be just started to get really nervous about the show yeah yeah because first of all they the mob was okay you could take on the mob that 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 was fine yeah (laughs) but but you start taking on the government you start on white supremacy you start taking on feet and we can we suddenly not air this thing in alabama you know, like, yeah. <laughs> is the South going to boycott these episodes of television? Like that's a non-zero chance of that happening when you do shows like this. I, so and then Angela shows up and reveals that she's figured out that he's a cop, obviously, but he can't. Con- he confirms it without confirming. It. Yes. He's like, I can't let you in because it's too dangerous. But it's clear that, you know, what you know is his whole vibe. Yes. Like he's not going to deny it, but obviously, for uh, for clear reasons, it's not like he can confirm it because that puts everybody in danger. But she knows by the end of this episode, she knows he's not really a hooker, and that that's kind of sweet. No, so then, it worked out well. So then Calvin meets with Corker, and Corker's like, uh, "This Terranova guy obviously knows that I killed his brother, so we've got to take him out." And so Calvin okays a plan for Corker to bring him out to the woods, uh, pretending that he's going to meet a bunch of high ups and they're going to order thousands of guns, right? And then, you know, murder him and dump him in the for you know, dump him in a shallow grave. So that's the plan. But of course, Vinny has no interest in getting murdered. <laughs> so like he knows that any time he goes to one of these meetings, it's incredibly dangerous. So he has Frank follow him with, you know, a bunch of FBI guys with guns. And little do they know that this whole time he's been followed by the NYPD because the cop who arrested them was the dead cop's best friend. And he's not well in, willing to let this go any more than Vinny was willing to let the death of Pete go. And they are directly parale- uh, paralleling the violence that was uh, visited upon Vinny with the way Vinny is obsessed with taking down these white supremacists. It's like they are drawing a direct parallel between these characters, and one of them is a hero, and one of them is a villain, and they want you to consider that. And I think it's kind of fascinating that both are cops. Like, both these characters are cops, but one of them is a villain, and one of them is a hero, even though they both want the exact same thing, and the only difference is that when he had the chance, Vinny didn't execute Corker. Yeah. Right? And we'll we'll get to the end of the episode. So they go, they announce they're going to kill... Um, oh, yeah, the cops run into Frank, and Frank says, Vinny didn't kill that officer. Yes, his car was used, but he was with me at the time of the thing. We've turned him to try and take down these white supremacists. And the cops are, you know... <laughs> The cops are skeptical, but they're like, oh no, what the hell did we do? Because as like, he's a, uh, as Frank says, he's a professional thief. They don't just murder people for no reason. Like the, the Nazis probably shot the security guard 
because he was black. Yeah. Right? Because that's the kind of idiots these guys are. And as the fact is, we did learn that the white security guard didn't get shot. So, yeah, probably they did shoot him just because he was black. Because, again, Corker's a monster. And and, uh, so they bust in. Richie, pointedly, they all think he's with the white supremacists. But when he's asked to take away Vinny's gun, he turns the gun on Corker, which leads to a fist fight. And then the cops bust in. Everybody gets arrested. And then we talk to, and then we find out, and this is the key part, that Vinny never told Frank that Corker was the one that killed Pete. He didn't report that in. And that's the key thing. But he, uh, because he hadn't decided whether he was going to kill him or not. But at the end of the day, he did the right thing and he did it the right way. And so it's like Vinny's got, he's got this moral victory, right? And what happens in the very next scene? Corker stuns himself oh, after no, being. Ha- no, no. I know he, he doesn't know hang himself. Okay, I know he All doesn't right. hang himself. All right, but that's don't even the line. pretend. But that's the line. That's the official line. But yeah. when Frank says it, and when Vinny hears it, they both know what no. really happened. Yeah, I mean, they both was... know that the cops murdered. Like all well, of that, you see all it. The, well, you, yeah, you see, see it, it in the episode. We yeah, see you it. You see them come in to tune up Vinny just the way they tuned up Corker. And then when they're done beating him half to death, they hang him in the cell. They just kill yeah. him. Because yeah. he wouldn't be, you know, they wouldn't leave him with a belt in a cell. Because you're not, because <laughs> people might hang themselves. Like, there's no way. Obviously, the cops murdered him. And so Vinny's left in this position. He went through everything to do the right thing. And at the end of the day, the cops just murdered this guy. And he's like, well, where the hell does that leave me? And what I think the right thing is. And then he calls up lifeguard. And the last, the last line of the episode is what the hell are you supposed to do when you trust in the system and the system lets you down? Like Isn't the that whole... the end of the second episode? No, that's the end of this episode. Episode three. That's the last thing that happens. No, you were, Oh, when you, we get to the end of episode four, you'll remember the end of episode four. Well, I mean, I remember the end of episode four. And that but, is the, the okay, ending yes. is the last scene. No, that's this episode. Yeah, that's right. Yes, of yeah, course. Okay. Shh, yes. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, but yeah, and that's the key. The key message in this episode <laughs> is, is Vinny the only one out here trying to do the right thing? Well, Frank was too. Well, obviously Frank was too. <laughs> but I'm just saying the guy's yes. out in the field. The guy, like... Because this whole thing is about, is there society? Is there people, you know, are we all in this together? Or is everything just different exercises of power? And all that matters is who has the power in this moment. And there, and that's what, that's what Sonny said it was. Yeah. And Vinny kept, and that's, and Vinny refused to believe it. And Vinny keeps getting thrown up after situation, after situation, after situation. Where... Where... Sunny is proven right over and over and again. over again. Yeah, that it's not civilization, that it's not polite society, that it's all just systems of power and people desperate to keep their place in that system. Over and over and over again, and whether that's the cops, whether that's the government, whether that's the Catholic Church, over yeah. and over again, all we see are people trying to hold on to their power and violently reacting when people threaten that power. Because what is the any cop killer has to die, but an uh, you know uh, a statement that cops have to be above the law and above everything, 
that hurting a, one cop is hurting all cops. You know, that a, any insult to us is any insult to all of us. Kill any Roman person and a hundred of your people will be killed. You know, it's all the same mindset. It's all just power for power's sake. It's kind of, uh, it's fascinating where this show goes. It's amazing. Oh, I know. What, what else is like this? Well, I don't think there's anything, uh, anything. <laughs> exactly like this, yeah. Exactly like this in, um, that, that is portraying as close as it can come to within the confines of creating drama. Yeah. Uh, reality. Yep. It is trying so hard to create reality. And, oh, um, even, even at time, you know, even to indicating as, as we know, at the beginning of this arc that there's Vinny and you know because he's got five or six months worth of hair growth. Yeah. That he has that that he has been a mess for six yeah. months. And he's not getting out of it. He's sleeping. You see him, you know, at the beginning when he goes home crying, and then you go six months later with yeah. this, you know, six month worth of beard growth. Beard and hair growth. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly so, what it yeah. is. So, uh, here's where it gets really rough. Now, and now, last of the true believers, um, you can say oh, that to die in that you can say that there is more tragedy to die in Betten to in to die in Bettendorf for a couple of reasons, but this overall is, I think, the hardest episode of the entire series to watch. Like I dread it. Every time I get here <laughs> yeah. and watch through, I dread that I'm going to have to watch Last of the True Believers. But you have to. Well, you have oh. to watch it, but it is horrid. It's horrid from beginning to end. So, uh, you know, everybody's out of jail. Like, uh, Corker's dead. Uh, and but and Richie, and they spring Richie from jail because Richie is working for Vinny now. He's been recruited by Vinny to work undercover uh, to try and get the Pilgrims of Promise. And he keeps saying that under no cert, like, this isn't Knox Pooley. Knox Pooley doesn't believe in any of this. Calvin always brags about how he's the one who does operations. He's the only one who knows about action. And it's like he always keeps uh, Knox Pooley separated from that part of the organization. Like, he talks about it. And, of course, as we learn time and again, that's him bragging to make up for the fact to, like, turn a weakness in his life into a strength. Because whenever we see with Knox Pooley, he keeps trying to tell him about all the evil stuff he's doing so he can get approval and so he can get called a good boy. And Knox Pooley just keeps shutting him down. Doesn't want to know. He never wants to know. And so Calvin treats this like he's the most trusted and the most, you know, favored. But it's quite obvious what Knox is doing. So they all go to a TV broadcast, and what happens next is based on a true story. Yeah, Eric Bogosian plays him in the movie. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to remember the real life guy, but anyway, um, if you want to see a true version of what happens in this episode, well, not true version, uh, based on a true story of what happens in this episode, uh, you can watch the movie uh, Talk Radio, starring Eric, yeah. written and starring Eric Bogosian. It's a it's a one man play. Uh, if you do it on stage and you just have voices calling in because he's, he's doing a talk radio show. Uh, the movie has lots of real actors in it. And it's an unbelievably good movie. It is just an unbelievably good movie that, and tell me if I'm going too far here, will ruin your whole day if you watch it. 
Oh, oh, for sure. <laughs> talk, talk. Oh my, I, I mean, it's another Oliver Stone movie. It's my favorite Oliver Stone movie, and it is so good, so brutal, and, and so well yeah. done. Oh, and it just, and you just don't want him to die, and he is going to die. Yeah, like there is this, you know, even if you don't know the true story, there is this cloud hanging over him over the, the whole thing for the whole and time. and and when you know the story it's even worse so what happened it's was worse. there was a it's alan was a, a guy, guy by the name alan allenberg and he thank was you allenberg he was a prominent jewish talk radio talk show host in texas and he was unique in that he was willing to talk crap about the clan and he would let white supremacists in and he would debate them on the air and let them know how idiotic all of their beliefs were and how they were based on nothing and how they were just being manipulated. He took every opportunity to piss off white supremacists because he thought it was the best way to fight these people. The best way to undermine these people was to have, was not to try and convince them, but to make them look like idiots in front of the public. Because if you make them look like idiots in front of the public, who's going to want to be on their team? It was... It was a brilliant strategy, and he did a lot of good for the years he did it. But one day the order was, we've had enough of this Jew making fun of us. And one of them just showed up at his house and shot him to death Yeah, as he was getting out of his car. And I believe that man went to jail and he was caught and it was all part of the order. But that doesn't change the fact that this is a man who was a martyr for the cause of anti-fascism. And he deserved to be, he deserved to be remembered in an Oliver Stone movie. Yeah, it's um, it's a beautiful, it's an incredible story. Like, it's a beautiful story. It's an incredible story. And it's worth watching that movie, reading books about his life. And there was even a TV movie that was like the the Allenberg story. Like, there's a TV movie that's actually tries to be a document docudrama about him. So what we're about to describe all real, not all, but mostly really happened. So Knox is coming to do a national talk show, which is huge. Yep. Like it's a huge venue for him. And uh, he's being confronted with a prominent rabbi and a prominent black community organizer. Like a guy who goes out there and advocates for people to have housing and food help and voting rights. So, like, really people doing the Lord's work. And Says right the away, Buddhist. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, but I think it's it's a good way to describe it. Well, yeah. Anyway. It is. It is. It's true. Uh, but anyway, um, but the, the thing about it that's so tragic is you watch this scene and before they start the debate, the host comes over to talk to Knox about how he is excited he is to get him on there. Right. And yeah. how like how it's going to make for good television. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we then watch the guy screaming at Knox and calling him a monster and saying and yeah. like saying he does I don't want you on the show and throwing him off the show and doing all that. But that's just for the cameras. It's all a performance. It's all to get viewers because viewers equal influence and they equal money. And that's it. Yep. And so and then we get this great and Jerry TV. Springer. <laughs> it's Jerry Springer. Like he'll he'll platform the Nazis because it's good TV. And then you get this scene where like he said where Knox is like, okay, well if you kick me off the show, you promise as a condition for being on here that I get to put my 1-800 number on the screen for 15 seconds. Uh, and then he walks off, and Calvin is furious. Yeah. He can't believe that someone talked to his god that way. And 
and he tries to tell them the truth, which is it's all a game. They need to be, be they need to be mean to me to justify being on the show, but it doesn't matter because I get to say my piece and enough people are going to hear me and order our cassettes that it's going to grow our movement. It doesn't matter that we get insulted. That's just part of the game. Yeah. And of course, Calvin Hollis can't hear that. No. Because what little self-esteem he has, he has because he follows Knox Pooley. And if someone insults Knox Pooley, it's not just insulting a man. It's undermining everything about Calvin Hollis's net worth. And adding insult to injury, what it, what happens right after Ka uh, Knox gets kicked off the show? The host of the show receives an award from the Jewish organization that sent the rabbi. Yeah. And of course, Calvin can't take that. So he he's in the bathroom, and the talk show host walks in to go to the bathroom as well, and he puts down the statue, and Calvin's like, oh, screw this. And he takes the statue, and he beats the man to death with it. Yep. Oh. It was it was horrible. Like oh, it is and that's not and, the worst thing that's gonna happen this week. No, no, it gets worse. So much worse. I mean that's the whole point. Is that it just keeps getting worse yeah. this whole episode. And that was just this episode is just so hard to take. And I do think uh, to live and die in Bettendorf might be sadder. But this is rougher to watch. This is harder to watch because of the end. All right. Well, we'll get there. We're almost there. So, yeah. Uh, they're packing up the hotel room, right? Richie is there packing up the hotel room for Knox because they're going over to the, uh, you know, because they're planning to go to the next thing. He's got, you know, a rally. Uh, rally two states over to get to. So, you know, they're packing up. And Richie finds the statue. The statue. Which Calvin bed. kept as a literal trophy. I don't know what that sound is, but stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a little roll. He finds the statue. He finds the statue and he just realizes the significance of it because he heard yeah. about the talk shows getting killed. And he just grabs it and he just flees. He runs yeah. out of there. And then Calvin freaks out. Uh, he quite understandably, I'm still hearing that noise. Uh, he okay. uh, he freaks out, right? And he confesses to Knox, and Knox screams at him, and it all comes out that and he's like, "I was trying to do it for you," and he's like, "I didn't tell you to kill anyone." And he verbally assaults Calvin, and Calvin tries to explain about his history about how his father molested him and like that that Knox is the only good thing in his life. It's the only good thing that's ever been in his life. And of course Knox just throws him out and says, I never want to see you again. And yeah. Meanwhile we get a beautiful scene between Frank and Vinny where they are freaking out. Uh because uh, Richie freaking out because Richie hasn't called in and he's been gone for so long. And we get one of the greatest I told you so's without saying I told you so in <laughs> yeah. fiction. Yep. Because uh, uh, Frank just told us a whole, yeah, it's got to be frustrating, you know, Jeez. having the responsibility for this guy who is essentially defaulted part of your family. 
and he doesn't call in and you just spend all uh, you're up all night worrying about him that must be rough huh (laughs) (laughs) i know it was like such a good i told you so oh yeah but richie rolls up and he and he tells them about the he tells them about the trophy they can arrest uh, they can arrest calvin and maybe use him to hopefully use him to flip on Nas Pooley. So they go looking for him. And for the first time ever, they do something smart and they don't send Richie home. Like twice before in this show, they sent Richie home and then people found him there. Yeah. Uh, but this time they don't send Richie home. They send like they take Richie. They hide him uh, like he stays with Frank. He's not going to be out of Frank's sight. But uh, Calvin and his two hard men go and look for Richie there anyway. They search his house. They toss the place. They don't find him. They leave. (sighs) And then, because men, when their life isn't going right, need to exact violence on someone to feel better about themselves. (laughs) Am I being too obvious about this? (laughs) Yes. Just, just, you you know, you're you're flogging a duck. A dead horse. A dead horse. Well, I think it's important to remind people of what's being said by this <laughs> Just episode. Just in case they haven't been listening. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, they Every haven't been Every episode listening. that we've talked about on the show. But anyway, <laughs> so they go over to the house of Thurman McGill, who is the black community organizer from the show. And he is eating dinner with his family and three guys with guns Great. show up and start pointing guns at them. They're like, oh, God, oh, Calvin's trying to get a clean sweep and, you know, get rid of everybody who insulted uh, Knox, because that's the only way he can get, prove his love for Knox, essentially, at this point. And then we get a fantastic moment where one of the gunmen is like, come on, just let the the woman and kids go. Yeah. And Calvin cannot hear any questioning of his order, so he turns around and he shoots his own man with his shotgun. Yeah. Oh. And then he realizes what he just did and he sees the horror on the other guy's face and he's like, okay, the kids, the wife and kids can go. But they can go because I said they could go. No one is telling me what to do anymore. I said they could go. And you're like, oh my God, like there's, there's no him, you know, (laughs) like there's, there's no core to this man. Oh, it's so pathetic. He is all reaction. He's all reaction. And this is the only way he could think to get Knox Pooley's attention. And we find out he's kidnapping them so that they can get Knox on the phone with him. Mm -hmm. That's why he started a hostage situation. And we cut over to Knox because Vinny goes to try and shake something loose. So he sticks a gun to Knox's face and says, Calvin owes me a lot of money. And unless you can give me Calvin... You know, it's a good way to find him so the cops can arrest him. Unless you give me Calvin, uh, I'm going to get the money from you however I need to. Uh, and then when he's not ta- when he doesn't start talking and he says he had nothing to do with any of it, the second phase of the plan starts up and Frank and the FBI show up to brace him and blame him and see if that can scare him into talking. But Knox is 100% clear that he doesn't, he doesn't believe in white supremacy. He doesn't believe in, uh, he doesn't believe in this. He's just selling these people hope. He's selling them people hate and hope wrapped up in a package because it's the easiest thing he's ever had to sell. Yeah, it's the it's... easiest product in the world to sell. And it's like, like you, you don't spend any money and people just throw you things. They just throw you cash. and You don't have to do anything except 
tell them these insane lies that they're part of the master race. And of course, Richie does not like the sound of this, and he runs in and he attacks Knox. Uh, but they pull him off, because, you know, they're not going to let him uh, kill the guy they still want to put in jail. And Knox is kind of trapped with them, and he can't leave until the uh, the whole situation with Calvin is sorted out. He and tries he to the, leave. He tries to leave, but they won't let him. And he tells a wonderful story about how everything is just selling, and it doesn't matter what I sold. Like, I've been selling my entire life, and I'm good at it, and it's who I am, and white supremacy is just another product. And by the way, this is the closest the show will ever come to saying, yeah, capitalism's the bad guy here. <laughs> But capitalism is, like, secretly this whole time in these four episodes, capitalism was the bad guy. Because people at the top put no. Americans out of work. No, listen. People mm -hmm. at the top of corporations. Okay. Right? Put Americans out of work so that they can make more money. And those Americans who suddenly don't have jobs, who doesn't have, suddenly don't have a place in the world, they go looking for a reason to that, for that. And then the Donald Trumps of the world show up and sell them a reason. And that reason is blame the Jews, blame the blacks, blame the immigrants. All they want, all these people want, like, it's so it's... hard to understand economics and the fact that the whole system of capitalism is fault. So they just want to be told who's to blame. Yeah. And when, when I get rich enough and when I have my own store, I can yep. screw over the, people yeah, below me. People. But there is literally no different, and I mean, this is going to be slightly controversial, maybe, if you like this guy, but I want to point out that there is literally no difference between the scene, the who's to blame scene in School of Hard Knocks, them holding up a mirror, and him saying, you're letting yourself be beaten down. Because that's not true. It's an economic system that's crushing them. It's not yeah. a matter of personal choice. It never was. So what I'm saying is there is no difference between Knox Pooley doing the who's to blame speech and holding up a mirror. But there's no difference between that and Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life. Jordan P Peterson is, is an... He is. No, but he is Knox Pooley. He's the exact same guy. Oh, he's selling, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm he's, not. He, I'm not disagreeing. Yeah. I'm just saying he's an... Oh, I, he's a I, complete I cannot. asshole. He's a worthless asshole. But my point is, there's a popular guy right now. I mean, because Donald Trump has other stuff going on. You know, yeah. he was the president, but <laughs> Knox Cooley and Jordan Peterson are yeah. essentially the same person. And Jordan Peterson just used to be quieter about his anti-Semitism. But I mean, now he's oh, and his, hanging and out he with hates Victor women, for God's sake. Say, hey, you don't see a lot of women in the rallies in these episodes. No, he despises women. But again, fascism is what if toxic masculinity was a political system? That's yeah. what it is. That's what fascism is. Of course they hate women. That's integral to the point. Supremacy over women. I mean, read Umberto Eco's Ur Fascism. If you don't have any other races around to be supreme over, you have to be the master of women because that proves to you that you're a man. As they say, men prove themselves by fighting in war. But war is scary and men don't want to die. So sexual politics becomes their coded replacement for war. And they feel like men by oppressing women. Like, it's all there. Umberto Eco figured all of this out. Well, all I can say is that the oppression of women probably started 
Yeah. Well, I'm not even before. This, I'm not saying this is why all women have been oppressed ever. I'm talking about why the impre- why the oppression of women is a key factor of fascism. Oh well, you need to take my ones. course. And well, I, how, why do you think I think and know these things? Because I lived your courses. <laughs> I'm not telling you you anything you don't know. I'm telling the audience something they huh. might not know. Yes, they might not know. And then there's the Where do you go think read Gerda. Yeah, go God, yeah. <laughs> go read Gerda Lerner's The Creation of Patriarchy. Oh, Jesus, yeah. And Sexual oh. Politics. And go read <laughs> Susan Brown Miller's Against, Against Our Will. Against Our Will. One of the best, That's one the, of the best yeah. academic books I've ever read in my life. It's it's the hardest read, but yeah, you will never terrible. find a book. It's It's terrible. It's the hardest read, but you will never find a more smoothly written, like easy to digest academic book the, the woman is an incredible writer yeah no it is an easy book to read if you're just reading it it is not uh i yeah. mean i mean that, that's you know now that i think about it when, yeah. when we're talking about it because it was it was probably without my understanding it her style and structure was the the thing that I kept when I was doing my dissertation or that I was following that kind of a model. That kind of, yeah, absolutely. That you can that, write, yeah. you can write this stuff so that everybody can understand it. And you they definitely may not achieve that. like it. No, you they, definitely achieve that with yours. Yeah. I but, can tell you that. But it's Susan, because Susan Brown Miller's book had such an impact on me when I read it. In 1975, and I, I really read it until the year 1998, and it it's every bit as valid. Well, that's that's the point, and the we're going to well, that's what we're going to see how my students take it because this they are going to be doing just that, trying to figure out whether things have gotten better since Susan Brown Miller wrote this book years ago. 50 well 47 well, I she think. wrote it yeah but i'm not well yeah. she started working on it 50 yeah. years ago so yeah it was published yeah it was published you know, like 72 73 75 like actually 75. i went and looked because wow. remember i have to put down the <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> the amount of times you've cited that in a bibliography of course you know when it was published but but i mean it's it's i'm sure it was obviously years of research so it's been 26 yeah. years it's been 30 46 years obviously but uh, i'm i mean it is it is the synthesis of such an obscene amount of research oh, oh my god she she has receipts for everything in that book yes it is just you know the footnotes yeah so go and argue with her All if right. you want but I know, right? Oh, you're, she, you're not you may not win, like her conclusions, but but all the evidence is there to support them yep it's it's a brilliant piece of work. Anyway, uh so enough about theory. <laughs> yeah. They get Knox on the phone. They get Knox on the phone with Calvin. And Knox only cares about one thing in that conversation. And yeah. he cares about saying uh that I never ordered you to kill anyone, did I? And Calvin confirms that he didn't and then everybody's faces fall cuz Jesus Christ, Knox is going to get away with this. He, yep. ha he hasn't done anything illegal. And nope. that's part of the shocking thing. He hasn't, he hasn't done a single illegal thing in all of his evil 
not one thing he did was illegal because he knew exactly where the line was. And he, and so we cut back and Calvin says to him, but you know, I did know this all for you because I love you. And Knox says, thank you. And hangs up the phone. Jesus Christ. I know. I know. It's, it, it oh. is, it is horrid. Just the fact that like he could have tried to talk him down. He could have done anything to try and resolve the situation. There's any number of things he couldn't have done. But the minute he gets Calvin to say that he didn't do it, he knows there's nothing the FBI can hold him on, so he stops uh, participating in this. Yep. And he just walks away. Tries to leave. I've got to go catch a plane. I've got to go catch a plane. But that's the thing. It's like he has no interest in helping the FBI anymore the minute it's been established by everyone that he can't be charged. If he's not here to make a deal... Well, why am I having this conversation? And he just, he cuts himself out. So then, we cut back to Calvin, whose uh, buddy, the other, the one remaining Nazi, because he killed the third guy, is like, do you smell that? And he's like, what are you talking about? And they look into the kitchen, and Calvin shot the guy onto a stove that was turned on. Yep. And now that man's body is on fire, and it's catching the entire house on fire in... One of the most arresting images in the entire series. Just a corpse on a stove engulfed in flame. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Yes, what it didn't cost to do this. I know, right? And so that guy just jumps out the window and turns himself in. And Thurman can't do the same because Calvin has taped himself and his shotgun to Thurman's chest. Yep. Leaving Thurman and him trapped in there. And Thurman makes the case that Knox should have, or that somebody should have, saying that it's like, don't die here. If you die here, then Knox wins. He never believed anything. You are a true believer. And if you walk out of here with me right now, everyone will listen to what you have to say. Everyone will hear from you. Right? You will get to put your... This is na- This has now become a story about you, Calvin. And if you can get out of here with me... Like, we can tell that story to the world. And it works! Yes! It works! It works! Because Calvin needs to be told what to do. Yeah! It actually works! And then a piece of falling lumber smacks Calvin in the head, and he falls over and the gun goes off. Yeah. And now there's nobody to tell him what to do. And all he can do is crouch over Thurman's body crying. As the house collapses on top of him. Yep. Oh, my God. Tell you the guts it took to do that in this episode on TV. It is the bleakest hour this show will ever do. Yeah, it is. It is far bleaker than um, to live and die in Bettendorf. Yeah, to die in Bettendorf. Yeah, it really is. It is. Yeah. It it is so bleak. Because you don't like this man. This man is a horrible person. But you can just see that all he has been is used all his life. And then he's finally going to do something good, which is walk out and let this black guy live. Yep. And then, you know, and I mean, we all know what would have happened. He would have spoken and everyone would have seen the true face of white supremacy and it would have hurt his movement, not helped it. Well, yes, that that doesn't matter. But he doesn't know that. Yeah. He doesn't know that. But I'm just saying, it's like, it would have been 
the best thing he could have done with his life. But he never gets the chance. He never gets the chance. Oh, it's so brutal. And the show isn't done kicking you when you're down. So Vinny and uh, Vinny and Frank go to see Richie, who's going to have to go to jail for 18 months. Yep. Uh, because he was, you know, he was involved in all of this. He was the getaway driver for a bank robbery, but they've taken his testimony into account. They have taken the fact that he, everyone believes he didn't know he was going to be participating in ba- uh, bank robbery foreign. And the fact that he has been helping the FBI is all taken into account. He's only going to do 18 months. Yeah. And then we get the kicker. Uh, Vinny got a letter. <laughs> Vinny got a letter from Knox Pooley. That said, uh, uh, Mr. Terranova, I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to talk before I left from New York. Hopefully I can make it up to you by offering you the opportunity to buy into a condo (laughs) development in Florida. I know. And all you can do is laugh. And you see him. We see him in his office in Florida wearing linen pants and a Hawaiian shirt talking to two 70-year-old Jewish retirees, offering them a glass of Manischewitz and saying, you know, just come in here, right? It's just like, uh, I'm always happy. We have the best product. We have the, the best condo you possibly move into. Let's get you out and seeing this thing. And what ends up, the last line of this, the whole arc is the most important yes. line of the entire arc. That he says, as a salesman, I've always believed that the best salesman is the customer. Yep. That if you can find someone who wants to buy something, that's the easiest sale in the world. And right there in that single line, that's the entirety of the white supremacy arc. All of these people who were desperate to buy an easy answer for their problems. And all he had to do, all he had to do, was show up. Yep. And that's how Donald Trump became president. (laughs) And that's how Donald Trump became president. This is the story. I mean, he even goes into Florida real estate at the end of the episode. I know. That's what's so, so funny about it all. It's so, well, as you say, it's so perfect about it. Mm -hmm. But it's also just so, I don't... (laughs) The it isn't you can't even do I don't even know if there's a word for how yes. you feel about watching this last little like watching this archer and then thinking about for four years, five yep. years of Donald Trump. Of American society under Donald Trump. It was yeah. like, yes, okay, it wasn't you don't have to fool all of the people all of the time. No. Nope. You just have to fe- fool enough of the people. Yep. There That's are some it. of the people that you can fool all of the time. And if the electoral college exists, that's all you need. Mm-hmm. Well, and that is why I if said that America right, is a... Well, yeah, if you pick the right, the right venue for the that The right age. group of people. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sorry, but Hillary Clinton was right. They are. They were a basket of deplorables. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, everybody thought that was horrible for her to say. Well, duh, but it was true. (laughs) But then friggin' Nazis marched on Charlottesville. Oh, I guess Hillary was right about that. Huh. 
I mean, anyone who knows anything about what was happening at Don, uh, Donald Trump's rallies knows that it was always going to get this bad, but it's another conversation. So yeah, um, this has been four episodes of Wise Guy about the Donald Trump presidency 30 years before there was a Donald Trump, Trump presidency. presidency. Yes. And almost exact. Well, actually, it was exactly 30 years before he became president. It was. No, no, no. This is 88. This is 88. So. Yeah. And he became. Years. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, 2017. Yes, he, yeah. 2017. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah. So 29, it's 29 years. years. 29 yeah. years. Exactly. Yes. But no, it's it's fantastic. Like it's. Again, what we have discovered by rewatching Wise Guy is that we always thought that this was the best cop show ever made. And I think you can make that argument that this is because really of the complexity, good. because of the complexity and its willingness to address all sides of the issue of every mm -hmm. issue they do. It's, you can make a strong argument for being this being probably the best, like just show about cops and robbers ever made. But what we are discovering in this rewatch in a post Trump world and how political the two of us have gotten is we had never noticed, and we said that we've been saying this every week. We had never noticed how incredibly political the show was. Yeah. All the other times we watched it. But you watch it now with your eyes open and looking through that lens, you can't help but notice how intensely political the show was. And the crazy part is, these four episodes about white supremacy, while they weren't the most, as you say, while they weren't the most relevant episodes to the, the American time. experience in 1988. Mm hmm. These are the four episodes that are most relevant to the American experience now, in 2021. Yes. It's it's an incredible. Like I always remembered these episodes as being good. Even yeah. really good, and I've always been fascinated and obsessed with Paul Guilfoyle's performance. Yes. But to to go back and watch it and being like they lay it all out. It's it's everything. all friggin' there. It's yeah, like everything. they wrote a blueprint. Yeah. They did. Like, they completely understood the character of American extremism. And they put it all in television right there for you to watch on an, you know, hour-long, once-a-week drama. It's it's incredible. And, and again, that's... the whole time, capitalism was secretly the villain. Yeah, and that's what makes it better than Dead Zone. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because Dead Zone is also clearly about Trump. But it's not all there. And they never explain why someone would elect Trump. Whereas this explains yeah. why they would do it. Because explains how Greg could become president. Yeah. Because this is a four episodes of a show about the social conditions required for a fascist to take hold. Yeah. And yeah. I want to point out that, like, uh, and one last thing about Jordan Peterson. He started off challenging his class with the idea that, well, if... Uh, if if you had lived in Nazi Germany, then there is a a seventy percent chance you would have been a Nazi, or an eighty percent chance, because that was their approval ratings. So so you can't say you wouldn't be part of an authoritarian movement. And at the beginning, you thought that that was because he was trying to warn people about that. But as for the further his career has gone, the answer is no. He was just looking for people to recruit to his own fascist movement. Yeah. Well, not only not only that, but. Hitler's approval ratings were never no, eighty percent. He's lying. Jesus Murphy. He's, he's um, lying he's, through he's his a, teeth. He's a right wing. He's a right wing intellectual. All they have is lies. Yeah, in fact, That's always been true. In fact, 
if he no no i'm just i'm just saying yeah but that's and, what he says in fact if there had been another election <laughs> hitler would have lost badly. he probably would have lost not badly but he yeah. would have he would have lost he would have um, lost, because yeah. yeah because it was already i mean they were still they still kept up the facade but and then they went to war are famously awful at running economics like they are yeah. famously bad at managing economies because the whole point of fascism is to let capitalists do whatever they want and destroy, you know, de uh, essentially take away everyone's social safety net and replace it with blind obedience to authority. So even though their lives suck, they still follow your orders uh, yes, because except, you blame somebody else. No, no. Ex yes. Well, except that they did cover everybody's medical. They no, no, no. But that had all happened during the Weimar Republic. No, 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 no. The Nazis did not introduce many new social safety net programs. Like the the healthcare. Oh, started, that's true. I, they I didn't introduce say any that new ones. Way. They kept them going. They didn't introduce any new social safety. Um, well, and yeah, despite okay. and despite what you might have heard, it was impossible to get a gun in Germany in the Weimar Republic. The Nazis made it way easier to get guns oh, yeah. if you weren't Jewish. Being yeah. Jewish was was the death knell. <laughs> oh God, whatever. Oh, you know, all right. I mean, so um, but we're we're not here to talk about Hitler. Maybe we'll do a Sunday show about all of the stuff that this arc of wise guy has brought up in us. Uh, but for right now, this is going to be the end of the arc and the end of the episode. Join us back here for next week for. You really needed the happiest episode in the entire series. Yes. To follow up this arc, and that is exactly what we get next week. Area for Don Iupo. That's right. Rudy's back. And, and you, you anymore. No, and you and you will be so happy at the end of it. Oh, absolutely. No, it is it is the single most positive overall episode in the history of the show. Yep. They never yep. do a show that is more just purely fun and uplifting than this hour of television. So yeah. Be prepared for that, um, but it's going to be a little dark, too, because before we talk about Area for Don Iopo, we're going to have some final thoughts on these episodes. I think we should do... Oh, I yeah. guess, yeah, we'll have yeah, to have the final episode. thoughts yeah. first. Yeah, we'll do the final thoughts first, then we'll talk about Area for Don Iopo, uh, which will be delightful. All right, so that's that. As always, I want to thank you for listening and remind you to join us back here next week for the new episode. If you're listening to this on some sort of app or podcatcher, be sure to rate and review it. That's how people find the show. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling-related fiction you think we should check out, drop us a line at email.com. We would love to hear from you. We'll see you back here next time for Area for Don Iupo. But until then, au revoir. Have a good week. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network.